Hello and welcome everyone to our 58th session of Hallo Casa. My name is Michael and today I'm talking to Teresa Ravenberg Grob Ecker from San Francisco, California. Teresa is CEO of Real Estate Consortia, which has a patent pending blockchain title token for every piece of real estate in the United States. Teresa found Grob Ecker Holland International, the first online real estate brokerage in San Francisco in 2012. And in June 2018, Teresa merged GHY into US Capital Global, an investment bank where she also performs investment banking duties. Teresa, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to audience? Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's quite an honor to be here talking to you and to your audience today. Um, my name is Teresa. I run multiple divisions in the capital markets and real estate and crop tech space. Um, I'm located here in San Francisco. I'd say that I'm fairly dangerous in capital markets and in real estate and uh, just super excited to share what I know about how we do business here in the United States and in San Francisco with everyone on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, tell us a little bit about San Francisco and how is it to live in San Francisco? San Francisco really is um, a very multicultural, diverse place. Um, that's one of the reasons that it, I was attracted to San Francisco about 20 years ago. So I've been in the Bay Area um, ever since I was a legal adult. I, I love this city. Um, it's grown up a lot. It's seen its fair shares of busts and cycles, busts and booms. Um, we are in this whole tech Silicon Valley now. Um, and It's just amazing to see, I think for me as a practitioner and a broker, it's amazing to see all of the hard work that the brokers for the last like three decades have put into the city because this is some of the most valuable real estate in the world. And it's because of the hard work of the brokers here mm -hmm. uh, for many, many years, because when inventory comes online in San Francisco, it is really the most pristine. We do a lot of legal due diligence before property goes online. Mm -hmm. And they set, the, the brokers here in this city have set the bar super high. And it's really incredible to be part of this ecosystem mm -hmm. of the most amazing leaders in real estate. Awesome. Um, super interesting because I talked uh, last week with Mukul from New York City, who also talked about the expertise and also the profession of real estate um, agents and, and um Realtors in New York City and um, internationally, definitely, I think a lot of people have, can learn a lot from realtors in, in the United States. And if you now say that San Francisco is like, even within the United States, like the market where a lot of people learn from, it's super exciting to talk to you today. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I have a lot of respect for the New York market. That's probably even more competitive and cutthroat than the San Francisco market. And that's probably more because of just the cultural difference of New Yorkers and Northern Californians. They say that Northern California will make you soft. Um, New York will make you hard, right? <laughs> so uh, we have our different ways of, I think, the psychology of how we interact with each other and the social dynamic. Both are amazing cultures for real estate just in their own in their own ways. Absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey into real estate. How did you um, start with uh, real estate? You're now the CEO of a really great brokerage. You're also a CEO of a blockchain company focusing on, uh, on the solutions for, um, for realtors. How did everything start? 
Uh, so funny story. I was probably somewhere between the ages of, well, my first, my first memory, I was three years old. Um, and I remember managing property with my family. So it was like a matter of, mm-hmm. we've got to go to this property and work on this thing. Right. Um, and then I think when I was closer to five, my older sister, uh, so my parent, my father, my father had me when he was 66, he was a cold war spy. My mom was a lot younger. She was a model and she comes from one of the last, well, the last Royal family in Korea. Right. So they got married, had me. And I have this sister who at the time was like, she's like 40 years older than me. Right. Mm-hmm. So my sister had been in real estate for quite some time. And she asks me, she's like, what do you want to do when you get older? And I said, I want to own the skyline. Right. <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. Um, so I grew up in real estate. Um, it was just very innate. My sister taught my mother, she was older than my mother. And then I, you know, I learned it from being in just the family and learning how real estate happens. My sister taught me everything I know about real estate, more sort of from the human side of things. I'm more of a technologist than she ever was. Um, so that's my history in real estate. Coming out of business school, I wanted to go into commercial real estate, but because I had an MBA, I was more suited for financial markets at the time. So mm-hmm. my career started in financial markets. Um, when I decided to start my family, I left financial markets because I could have more control over my schedule. And I think a lot of realtors find this is that they can have more control over their day to day in real estate. And that's very attractive to us. So uh, during the crisis, I was doing fix and flips. I was foreman on my own projects. I had a, I had a baby on each hip and I'm like telling contractors, like, this is how you're going to do the electrical. This is how you're going to do the, the drywall. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, out of that, I started the first online real estate brokerage in San Francisco, boutique bo- brokerage. Um, so that was to be able to service more people like myself and to help agents succeed and create an online community which is very timely given everything that's happening right now. Everyone is now like, we have to go online for business. Whereas like in 2012, this was more of a choice. Um, It actually was not very well received in the San Francisco community because like I mentioned, this is an old bespoke um, network of agents, right? And there's a way and a custom of doing things. And then I came along and I was like, we're going to do it all online guys. So uh, we've definitely come a long way since then, since we started that. Super, yeah, super interesting. That means um, starting starting in 2012 with the online brokerage, um, 2011 to 2012. So you also um, were part of the entire rise of San Francisco as a real estate um, hub because the real estate prices have quite recently actually exploded as much until I think like 2000, the real estate prices were still quite reasonable. Is that correct? Yeah, prices were definitely more reasonable. I think there was always a premium that people were paying to be part of the San Francisco real estate community uh, to own, to have ownership here. But definitely prices have gone up and it's because of all the wealth that's been generated in Silicon Valley. We have a lot of people, a lot of, um, a lot of people coming here. So it's just the numbers. It's just supply and demand really. There aren't a lot of places to expand outward. For example, mm-hmm. San Francisco is seven by seven square miles, and we have a lot of caps on how high we can build our buildings. Certain districts are definitely more friendly to sky rises, whereas others are just, we want to keep it at two, three, four is like probably the maximum amount mm-hmm. of stories that you can go up, right? Um, so for that reason, there's just a lot of constraint 
that constraint drives the value of properties up when there's so much mm -hmm. demand. Um, also, I think it's the way that we market our properties. Before um, inventory goes online, there is so much due diligence that's done. So every possible inspection, everything is disclosed. So we're all, imagine like we're all at a bar, right? And like, you know, like everyone is stark naked and we can see all the warts about everybody, right? And that's, that's what we do is we show, you know, these houses are old and they need work. Um, some of them are fixed up pristine and perfectly before they go to market. But the, at the end of the day, we know, we know any secret that's happening like inside the walls of the house. Um, and so when we market the property that way and we fully disclose everything, what we do is we create the situation where the buyer just basically writes an offer and says, no contingencies, I'm all in. And because it's so competitive to get real estate here, we just waive all those contingencies. We put the highest and best offer in right away. And because there's so much demand, those offers are oftentimes like multiple digits above the, <laughs> excuse me, the asking price. So mm -hmm. those are just many, many of the reasons why real estate here in San Francisco is, is priced the way that it is and uh, why the value is shot up. Perfect. Um, concerning the brokerage and also the interaction uh, between realtors and, um, and agents, you just mentioned um, a lot about collaboration or you already touched upon that a little bit. For me, it's super interesting to see how do you make sure that you're getting deal flow as an agent or as a realtor to, let's say, new developments or, uh, you know, uh, a new house? How does it normally work? Yeah, so I'm really big into relationships, right? So what's really important, like there's all this technology and yes, I'm a technologist, but at the end of the day, it's building trust with really important relationships and the people who are that glue in the community. It's important to be part of that fabric. It's important to have those relationships and let people know that they can call you and trust you and trust your network moreover, because um, like all the deals that I see, it's, it's very little of it is through advertising. It's more about who you know and how you offer value to those people, how you enrich their practice of what they're doing. How do you bring them more deal flow? How do we help you sell real estate um, and get highest and best for the inventory that you have? It's all about relationships at the end of the day. Wow. That is so interesting that you say that um, because it really, um underlines again the importance of relationship building and of the person-to-person -person, um, building up and, and um, having a very, very strong market presence also with each and everyone inside the market and not only running Facebook ads or Google ads and making sure that you're outbidding someone else. It's more like much more about your reputation. It, it totally is. And what's interesting because we're shooting this interview, um, San Francisco is just on what day four of home care or day three, actually, technically, because mm -hmm. we started Tuesday at midnight. Um, so what that means is right now, for example, it's illegal to go out and sell property. You could either get a ticket or you'll get arrested. And this is probably the new normal for at least some months here because of what we're facing as a pandemic and a health crisis throughout the whole world. Um, so 
what that means is like Facebook and running ads is completely different than being in a Facebook group when you're talking to humans who you know, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm having a lot of great conversations with people like in the old days, a week ago, right? Like people who I could go out and just go see at an open house or at a meeting downtown. Um, so it's really important that we distinguish those kind of cold leads that are happening on social media versus those more warm and authentic conversations mm -hmm. that we're having. Um, I know a lot of the biggest influencers in the United States and we have, I've been having them on my show, my consortia show. And what they're saying is it's really important on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook to just be building up your own brand authentically of who you are because a consumer or another agent who's going to refer you business, they might see who you are right in an ad, but they're not going to actually send you business unless they trust you and they know what you're really like. So for example, for me, I had no idea that my brand had become that I'm a mom. I have two really cute little boys. I think they're cute. Anyway, um, they rock my world. So uh, I had no idea <laughs> that that became part of the fabric of who I am. And then I got this call that woke me up like two mornings ago and it was my business partner. He's like, Teresa, this is your brand. I need you to get on the phone with this person because you guys have this in common, right? So I think it's important to, to like take a hard look at what your brand is, um, nurture that, own it, right? Because yeah. sometimes we don't quite own the things that we are good at. We yeah. are our own toughest critics. And it's a matter of like actually being like, you know what, this is me, this is where I shine. And then from there, building those relationships because now everything's going to go digital, right? So make sure that that comes out, right? Like pull on that thread a little bit, get that out there into social media, into those conversations that are now virtual, just like this right now, like these interviews, right? Yeah. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Double down on your self-awareness and on your strength and make sure that you're going all in on that. Yeah, true. I, I really like your words because it's exactly that. You know, sometimes you feel like you're much better in playing basketball but in fact like no you are not you're better in football like just keep on playing football like just just don't think you're another person than you in fact are um i i have an a, another question concerning um on the one hand yes we have branding on the other end we have also the personal relationship and it's also especially the brokerage um tell me a little bit about How did you um, start the entire brokerage? I think it's super interesting. I think it's it's a super success story which you which you have achieved so far. Um, the first steps, first like creating a brokerage. Like uh, I assume that you have a lot of that you need a lot of licenses. That you have a lot of um, also trying to position again you as a brokerage as a sophisticated one among all the other ones who try to maybe also defend their monopolies or oli oligopolies. In the, in the very dense market in San Francisco. How, how was that journey there? Uh, you know, school of hard knocks for sure. Um, <laughs> so at the time I got my broker's license um, and I was able to leapfrog this like clause that we now have where you have to have uh, two years of experience as an agent. And I was able to carry over my licenses from financial markets, because a lot of that is about consumer protection. It's like a lot of the, the rules, like how we take care of the public is the same, whether you're in financial markets or real estate, insurance services, like it's always like do good and do what's right for the customer. Mm -hmm. Once you have that as a foundation, everything else is very natural. 
And especially if you're on the sell side of things, you also know how to talk to humans, right? And you're like, uh, this is how we're going to push a deal forward. This is what's best for the consumer. That, uh, that virtue comes through. And so everything else just becomes very natural. So at that time, those licenses uh, carried over into real estate. That is no longer applicable in the real estate industry. Um, and so because my sister had been working in real estate at that time, I think it was like, she had already been working in real estate for 20 years, right? And my brother-in-law was the broker for them as a team. They were dynamic. They were just the best. Um, so I was able to pick up the phone and be like, hey, David, like, you know, help me out. I've got this, you know, I'm new to the business. How are we, how should I do this deal? And then my sister, because she was always so good on the relationship side, like she knew everything about everybody, like the, the man's job, the kid's situation with the wife, like what her goals and dreams are. Like she made sure that she, she knew that about every single person in her community. So I think that because she taught me so well on understanding like the human nature of what drives the desire for real estate, like I was always able to figure that out. And once we figure out what that is, then everything else just falls into place, right? So um, I think it was just a matter of considering that, not just for the consumer, but then also the agents who I was attracting into my brokerage and figuring out, okay, what's important to this agent and how can I help them be successful? Mm -hmm. So that was really my secret sauce is just caring. I think caring more than a broker who's just all about the numbers. Maybe if I was all about the numbers, I'd be a wealthier woman today, but I'm, I'm okay with caring more about the person. So uh, just with that perspective, that's been my, that's been my North star. Yeah. And I think you're wealthier today. Maybe you would have a little bit more money on the bank account, but I think wealth is not about money. I tend to agree. <laughs> there's some, <laughs> there's a goodness about like being able to look myself in the mirror. And I think, you know, that was another reason that I wanted to start my own brokerage is I had been around the block. I was still like super young when I started this brokerage compared to most brokers who go into this. Um, but I knew enough to know right from wrong. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I, my, my ex-husband and I talked about it and we're like, well, should I go work for this other broker who's like recruiting me pretty hard or should I start my own shop? And we both, it was like for him, he was very, he's like, no, no, you need to start your own shop. So he was kind of my biggest fan in that regard, um, just because he knew that I would be my own toughest critic on uh, ethics, right? And that was my biggest concern is like, mm -hmm. who am I going to go work for? What drives them? What motivates them and their ethical standards? So uh, for that reason, I started my own shop. You just mentioned a little bit um, conflict of interest. Obviously, there are you know in each transaction, um, be it on the market or be it um, even in, as an employer or employment, there's always some certain conflict of interest. And um, you just mentioned it so in such a very delicate and um, very decent way. Um, this might have also triggered your current business and your current next project concerning the blockchain and making sure that referrals are being tracked accordingly. And there's also a certain fairness of people who did their groundwork, who maybe also did the first step, but then they used to be left out because the transaction was handed over. And then in the end, the signature was done by a different, totally different person. And the person who really did the sophistication and also did a very, very good job in, um, yeah, in building the relationship was left out. Um, 
give us an overview of your blockchain project and your entire, entire um, idea behind it. Totally. Um, gosh, you really read between the lines and what I say. It's, it's quite refreshing. I love it. So originally, I was motivated to create or to utilize blockchain technology. Granted, this is my third prop tech venture. The second one was blockchain that started in like 2013. And that was like super, like way too cutting edge. And that has since gone off to transform the, um, the derivatives market. So that's mm -hmm. like five trillion dollars of assets um, in a different space, right? So um, what really motivated me at first for blockchain was this idea of full transparency of the deal. So what happened at first was there was a client of mine who had her identity stolen and a mortgage was put on her family's estate. Um, and it was like her, it was her inheritance from her mother and it's this mansion in Pack Heights. And someone was trying to steal the mansion away from her using mortgage fraud. And it was heartbreaking to watch. And I thought, okay, if we could put the property records on the blockchain, this immutable record and single source of truth, then this kind of situation could be prevented. Um, so that was my motivation to create this project. Um, but what happened is we realized that the title industry and the way that we uh, organize our data records is probably not something that I want to mess with because there's such, it's such a bespoke and heavily insulated industry. So then I actually had completely thrown this business idea out or this invention out of my head one night. I was like, you know what, this isn't gonna work. Um, within 30 minutes, I had read this white paper from Deloitte and then within 30 minutes, I was like, oh, wait a second. I speak realtor, I'm a broker. Like that's, that's what I know. And then I figured out, okay, it was a matter of putting, to create an identifier for every single piece of property in the United States. And then to put that to work through the realtor community. Um, so then, you know, very quickly I got on stage, I was at the real estate standards organization and then someone from NAR walked in the room, right? Like somebody had said like, you've got to see this chick and her invention. And he literally walks in the room as I'm on stage at Rezo. And then from there, like, I was brought into the NAR portfolio of companies. Um, NAR has a VC arm and they heavily, all they do is invest in technology mm -hmm. because they see the writing on the wall, really, that technology is the transformation of real estate. So um, it was, it, they had some ideas about how to utilize the technology and it was, it's to track referrals. Mm -hmm. So that's a very long-winded answer. And uh, as a broker, I can attest that I forget that I sign referral fee agreements all the time. Like I'll, I'll own that. And I know other brokers do too. And it's because of the process that it's not totally integrated into our system of doing business. Yeah. So um, the system helps us organize and track that data. Yeah. I um, lately talked to one person from Germany and he was um, saying, you know, in Germany, the legal landscape is not made for people agents really making like um, agent to agent um, contracts um, agents uh, a lot of you just can become a realtor without any um, license and that's why you know obviously a lot of people being active in the real estate market are not um, well educated let's say or high and skilled in order to to, um, to create like legal binding contracts then I talked to Mukul from uh, New York City and he mentioned like the MLS system, which 
I thought until now was more or less like allowing and also facilitating the referral management within the USA. And now more or less you say yes and no, because it is maybe on paper, it is, it is possible. However, in reality, it is still not as nice as it could be. Is it, is it more or less like where, which, what the blockchain um, solution will help with to make it like very easy to use? Yeah, so let me um, let me break a few of those things down. Um, mm -hmm. What your broker in Germany said is also correct here. The barrier to entry into the real estate market is very low. And so mm -hmm. we have different stratospheres of agents who come into the business. Mm -hmm. um, so we have some who do who just join because someone tells them they should they might be good at real estate because they're good with humans. Um, and that's very useful because a lot of those people are like the emotional and, you know, they build community. And then as you start working your way up, you have people who see it as a business. Mm -hmm. So they, are, they very much drill down onto the economics of how this all operates. And then mm -hmm. they run it like a serious business. So we have that same thing here. <clears throat> so the MLS, let's, let's pivot to that next point that you talked about. The MLS, what it says is that we're going to cooperate with each other as brokers and share listings. And once we sign a listing, we decide to... Um, pay, the MLS is a commitment. It's a legally binding contract to pay the other side. So if I have a listing and you have a buyer and you find my listing through the MLS, I am going to make sure that you get paid mm -hmm. whatever that commission structure is on the MLS. So that's if we're in the same city, right? If we're in the part of the same MLS, that, okay, commitment, that, always, that contract works. This is always city-based. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so here's where things get tricky, right? So let's say that um, you're in New York and I'm in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm not licensed to practice in New York. So I'm not a member of the MLS in your MLS in New York. So also, I'm just logistically not there. Like, how would I show my client property? Well, mm -hmm. that's changing now because now technology is going to allow us to just you know, do like a tour of a house. So that's coming like imminently. Like that was probably like a five, 10 year plan in real estate. That's like in our face right now. We have mm -hmm. to adjust right now because it's illegal to go show property in San Francisco. And that's mm -hmm. going to probably have a nuclear fallout in the rest of the country and maybe in the rest of the world. I don't know. We'll see how mm -hmm. business adopts to this. So, okay, let's go back to this MLS issue. Is that if you're there, I'm going to send you business but there is no overarching contract between us. So it's very likely that you work for a different broker or you are your own broker there. Um, and so there is no like overarching business infrastructure, legal contract umbrella that we're both falling under. And that's where consortia comes into play because our terms of use and then the referral agreement put us under one umbrella. Like all of a sudden there's just, there's one legal structure where we're committed so when I send you the business, as soon as you see the referral, you're committed because you're part of this system, right? You're part of this organization. You're legally bound to send me the referral fee when it's due. Got it. So it's, it's um, one part of it is legal. Like if we're going to make a cake, it's one part legal. And then it's another part technology is what makes it work. And then I think the other part is relationships, right? It's the, it's the layering of foundation of human relationship, followed by legal infrastructure, followed by technology. 
Got it. Thank you so much for the um, for the awesome clarification on that. Because um, yes, absolutely. Now I get it that the MLS is is especially like local, um, very purposeful and uh, useful. But however, like once you go like regional and national, it's it has like its limitations. I got it. Okay, thank you so much. Um, yeah. You also uh, do the tokenizations of the assets, correct? Um, that's not my wheelhouse right now. It's not my focus. Um, I know a lot of people who do that. And the issue with that right now, because I am a licensed investment maker, um, so this is where I pivot over to capital markets, is there's a lack of liquidity in that space. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that probably is because the real estate investment trust, so that's REIT um, mm -hmm. here in the United States, that gets a special tax um, tax treatment. REITs have this awesome tax blessing. It's um, so the tokenization of real estate actually feels very much and acts very much like a REIT, but a lot of times yeah. without the tax benefits of that. So then, so this whole hypothesis was that if we're going to tokenize real estate assets, it would make those assets much more available to, um, to the common person, right? Yeah. To pick up these tokenized assets. Well, that was a very nice thought. Then the SEC got involved in that conversation. So the SEC is the Securities Exchange Commission. They regulate our assets here in the United States and how we tokenize. And they said that tokens are a very sophisticated product, financial product. And so actually it's not for the common person and it's only for the very affluent. And so for that reason, the affluent parties are still buying REITs. And so there's a lack of liquidity in the tokenized real estate space. Got it. Perfect. And you use a um, security token offering, correct? What's the difference to an ICO? Uh, we have not issued an STO or um, an ICO. We opted to not do that because mm -hmm. at the time when we started this product project, actually, we didn't know which way the SEC was going to rule, if that was mm -hmm. legal or not. So we decided to just... Um, one bootstrap and then when we're doing our raise now it's more of the conventional awesome. with conventional financial market yeah it's always great to hear that uh, people are bootstrapping especially for in san francisco a lot of people are, um, are raising money before uh, with a slide deck and then um, and then they start building especially there were so many cases with icos as well where they have like a white paper and then raising a lot of money and um and then uh, starting building or not. So it's good to, to see you bootstrapping. That's amazing. Yeah, there was a lot of hype um, a couple of years ago and I'm like a low BS kind of person. So I said, no, thank you to the hype and decided <laughs> to grow something pretty authentically. And I think that's what sets us apart. And I think that's um, why we ended up on center stage is and, and accepted in the real estate community because the yeah. real estate community sniffs that stuff out pretty quickly. Where do you see um, right now your uh, project uh, in, let's say, a um, couple of years? So what's, what, what are the next steps? What are, what are the, right now the, the, the projects and the, the parts you're, you're building on? And um, give us a kind of a preview which, which, uh, which we, we can expect within the next couple of months. Yeah, totally. So. Uh, last year was really like an R&D year because we were the first company to ever go through the NAR program um, without a product built. 
-hmm. That's how disruptive some of the claims in our patent pending are to the industry, not just to the real estate industry, but how business functions in general and what this blockchain means to how we make referrals and how we all do business and what we're able to track from a consumer protection point of view. Um, so it was, an, it was an amazing year to talk to a lot of the smartest people in the industry. So then we had, uh, we rebranded in the fall um, around the holidays, and then we're pushing all this out. What's really interesting is right now the, the entire real estate industry is forced, like I mentioned earlier, absolutely forced to get uh, friendly with technology and quickly. So we see ourselves in a massive position to win on this because the old way of doing business um, is going to have to catch up and agents are desperately looking for the new solution. So whereas it was like a pricing game and we tried to pack 100 people into a listing, that's not the way we're going to do real estate now. Mm -hmm. It's going to be much more of a direct sale because of the health risk. We can't have 100 people walking through a piece of property, um, whether it be you know, a real safety risk or health risk to somebody or whether it's perceived, um, business is going to have to change and it's going to have to be much more of a precise direct sale. And we're going to have a massive pullback in the industry before the hockey puck goes or hockey stick goes back up again. So um, we're going to have to get clever with how we use technology. So whereas the entire industry is going to get hit very quickly here, we're also optimistic that those who are heavily entrenched in technology are going to win on this mm -hmm. one. So Consortia feels the same way. We feel optimistic. Um, it's heartbreaking to see just the disruption of business right now, not just for real estate, but overall macroeconomics. Mm -hmm. We are just, we're in it with everyone else and we're here to be of service and to make sure that people are getting educated on how to use technology. Yeah, I mean, you know, this week was just uh, very bumpy. This, uh, and I think, I don't know what the, what the future outlook is going to be. You're absolutely right. Um, concerning the elements, I'm taking uh, the parts which you just mentioned. May I ask you a provocative question now? Um, do you think, therefore, that brokerages might disappear? Because I'm just adding up some, some parts of what you said. We're talking about very personal approach, direct sales, We have a ledger where we have like the referrals. We have personal branding via TikTok, via Instagram, pre-qualified leads. I don't see a huge brokerage there anymore. You know, there's a lot of hypothecation in this. Um, we have some legal changes that are happening here in the United States too. Some things are in litigation or under investigation with how brokers are paid. So there is... Uh, My point of view is the industry is going to thin a lot because of our comp if compensation changes, the people who are going to be able to afford to stay in the business is going to change as well. Um, I think the best will survive. Mm -hmm. The smartest will continue. And we are going to see a lot of people leaving the industry. That's for sure. Okay. Do you have any um, listing out of the box right now in San Francisco, which um, out of your out of your head, which um, you would like to share with our audience to say, um, or something general, maybe um, in general, look at you know um, this and this um, property we have, um, or apart several apartment buildings, um, several houses. Is there anything you can right now out of your head? Um, 
Uh, so <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I think give me a few months and you'll see some very interesting um, listings coming through my brokerage. Nothing that I can talk about right now. Mm -hmm. uh, one, because it's a little bit early. Two, because uh, we kind of need things to settle before I push any of this out into the into the market. So we need to get some stability and put a floor in and, and stop the bleeding right right now. And then I think we'll be in a better position to promote some of those amazing listings. Stop the bleeding. I like I like the the wording. <laughs> I love it. Um, how can people stop uh, the coughing? Maybe. <laughs> how how can people um, contact you from all over the world? How, what's the best way to to reach out to you? I think probably, um, especially mostly in the in in real estate, is Facebook. Facebook mm -hmm. is probably um, the most prevalent. So definitely hit me up. Look for me. Um, on Facebook. So either Google me by, or look on me by Facebook, either through Consortia um, or my personal page is actually pretty public. So that's Teresa Ravenberg Grobecker. I will, I will put that directly into the description so that people can directly reach out to you. Perfect. Teresa, thank you so much for your time. It was amazing. I learned so many things about uh, San Francisco. I learned about um, your story. It's, it's amazing to see you um, really having started from the childhood um learning all the all the craft learning exactly um how it is to to um, to be be a real estate agent then starting your brokerage then seeing white space and some obstacles there and then going the next step and taking the leap and starting the blockchain solution in order to help um not only real estate agents but also obviously in the mdn consumer you also talked so much about what it makes to become a very professional and very successful real estate agent, not only being focused on brand building, but really having, being a likable person, being a very, very um, professional person and very sophisticated person. It's been a very nice talk. Uh, thank you so much um, for your time. Um, do you have any, any final words for the audience? Um, happy to be of help if there's anything, any questions that you have for me. Um, if you're out there, happy to talk about with you. And uh, I look forward to connecting with everyone. And I'm super honored to be on the show and, and part of your orbit. And I look forward to being of service to you and your community. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Sheridan. Thank you. Have a nice afternoon. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. You too. Bye.